Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Talk Eastern Europe, a podcast dedicated to Central and Eastern Europe and the official podcast of the new Eastern Europe magazine. This is episode 128. My name is Adam Reichert and with me is the other co-host of the podcast, Agnieszka Widwaszewska. Hello, Aga. Hello, Adam. Hello, listeners. So as I just said in the beginning, uh, we are recording a special episode, which is dedicated to the one-year anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Uh, an event um, that over a year ago, I think me, like many other people, could never have imagined would actually happen. Uh, there was so much noise going on about the intelligence and whether Russia was actually going to go through the, with the invasion. It was never clear until the last moment that it actually was going to take place. And I, I even remember talking to my Ukrainian friends and sources asking for their opinions. And I don't think anyone really believed that it would be a, an invasion on such a large scale, but it did take place. And the ramifications of that fateful decision by Vladimir Putin to attack Ukraine uh, have been global. They're irreversible. And we're now dealing with them 12 months later. And uh, it's hard to believe that uh, that we are already a year into into the war. Uh, but of course, we at News in Europe and Talk Eastern Europe, we've been providing our regular coverage, updates, uh, information of also on how to help Ukrainians, uh, as well as our special coverage on the podcast, looking at various aspects of the war. So Aga, I'm, I'm just curious, maybe if you want to give some of your brief reflections as we hit this very important milestone of February 24th, 2023. Yeah, before I start, I'll maybe start with my traditional disclaimer, which is that none of the things that I say on this lovely podcast represent the interests and opinions of the institution that I work for. And now with that, I can move on to my actual opinions. It's really difficult to believe that it's already been a year. And at the same time, as we were saying, actually, before recording, it feels like it's been much longer. So it's it's just been such a such a strange, strange time. And so many things have happened in that year. And of course, for me, it's always a bit of a when I when I think about this time of the year, it's a bit of a mixed feeling because this is also uh, incidentally the anniversary of me joining Talk Eastern Europe. That's right. That's true. The first episode that I was on was our first episode after the start of the full-scale invasion. So yes. I remember it very clearly. And so for me, this has also been a year when I managed to meet a lot of fantastic people. Like you said, the kind of people that we had on the podcast, uh, you know, activists, journalists, uh, researchers, people who are on the ground, people who are living this full-scale invasion every day. So it's been, there's always something, you can always find something good and everything bad, right? So I think mm. that's what yeah. I try to get out of it in terms of positive things. But of course, it is just terrible that we have been put in this situation to begin with, and particularly that the Ukrainians have been put in this situation. 
but I think they're, you know, when we compare the situation that we have today to the situation last year at this time of the year, I think there was way more, I would say there was this anxiety because nobody knew what, how Ukraine would manage if something actually happens, right? And now we yes, we are yes. wiser in a way one year later, knowing that Ukraine has managed to defend itself and it has been doing a fantastic job at protecting both its territory and the rest of Europe, frankly. So I think this is something also in a way positive that we can take heart from. But also we can see that this week there's a lot happening in Europe with regards to this anniversary that is coming up. So some of the things that you will hear in our upcoming interview and the interview that we have for this episode is we're discussing Joe Biden's surprising visit to Kiev, which I think mm -hmm. has made mm -hmm. a big, big impression. And uh, there is also, there was the Munich Security Conference last weekend, which was, which also gathered sort of a lot of high level officials. And the main topic was naturally the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Instead of Biden, Kamala Harris, the US vice president was there and she delivered quite a strong speech where she very also clearly delivered the message that the United States will support Ukraine for as long as it takes. And of course, then mm. Biden's visit to Kiev, I think, only reinforced that. So I think there is this sense of this is definitely not over. And if anything, we are all stronger than we were collectively than we were one year ago. So yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to be positive here, right? So I'm trying, I think, to just bring up these. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can add, events. we can add that, uh, you know, Joe Biden just gave his speech, you know, as we are recording uh, in, in Warsaw as well, uh, after his visit to Kiev, I think it was quite a, uh, a very consequential speech. Uh, he made a lot of references to the fight for freedom. Uh, the importance of solidarity, of course, speaking in Poland, you know, he, he, he references, made some references for his audience here as well. But uh, he was very clear in his message that uh, the West with the United States at the lead will not uh, abandon Ukraine and is with Ukraine until until the victory. And I think this is, you know, probably we're a year in and things are getting, you know, we see the reports. It's not a very easy situation. For Ukraine, particularly looking at the front lines, what's happening at the front lines, and I think this type of uh, you know symbolism is very important, also to keep the morale high, the spirit high, and of course these wars are followed up with with money, with equipment, with weapons that are definitely needed for Ukraine to defend its uh, territory and retake the land that's occupied. Um, so I think you know going forward it's going to be still a very difficult situation, but uh, very important this week uh, events that have happening. And of course we cannot forget that Vladimir Putin also had a, a very big speech uh, on the twenty first of February as well. Um, Agnieszka, maybe you watched some of it. I couldn't stomach it, but it uh, it, it was long and winded, and I don't think really uh, had you know had much to say in terms of what what we could expect the russians to be focusing on next uh, in in their in their war against ukraine indeed i think it was a long speech is the only thing i have to say about this speech there was really not <laughs> much content there i think even frankly the people in the room must have been bored to death but i don't think we learned much except for i think the only let's say bigger announcement related to 
the war and military aspects is that Russia has decided to suspend its participation in the New START treaty, True, which I believe was the last treaty related to nuclear issues, which was still yes. active between Russia and the United States. So now that is sort of off the table, although Putin stressed that they are just suspending it. It's not like they are just leaving it completely. But let's face it, I don't think there's any bright future for this one anytime soon. And yeah, otherwise, really nothing, nothing to say, although I spent an hour and a half of my life listening to that thing. You will never get that back. No, no, I will not. <laughs> so I think, you know, we could dedicate an entire conversation between the two of us of all the things that have happened um, in, in these last 12 months. But we have an amazing guest today. And so I don't want to uh, to take much time in, in our intro uh, away from her. But before we do bring on our guest, I do want to mention that uh, another reason why this episode is very special is that we have not just uh, our guests joining us, but we have some of our patrons here as well uh, who are our special supporters uh, and have uh, been with us for, for quite some time. Uh, we invited them to join us uh, today on uh, on the podcast to watch the interview and then also join in the discussion afterwards, uh, which will be exclusive just for our patrons. So welcome to our patrons and thank you so much for your support. Yes, thank you so much. We are so happy that you managed to join us. And we are, of course, grateful for your ongoing support, thanks to which we can continue doing this lovely podcast for all of you. Okay, so with that, maybe now we will go into our interview with our guest, uh, who I will introduce uh, following the short music break. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. So we have the, the, the great pleasure and honor to have with us Maria Avdieva, who is a research director of the European Expert Association in Ukraine. She focuses on international security, Ukraine-EU relations, and emerging security challenges. She analyzes information operations, as well as efforts to counter disinformation. And since February 24th of last year, she has become the voice of Kharkiv on the international arena. She has been filming and reporting on the situation from her hometown on social media, and she has been interviewed on, I think, all the major international channels, including CNN, BBC, Deutsche Welle, France 24, you name it. Uh, and today we are very extremely lucky to have with us on our podcast, Talk Eastern Europe, Maria. Um, thanks again for, for being here with us. Thank you for this uh, kind invitation, Adam. Uh, it's a great pleasure and uh, a great opportunity. So I think maybe before we start, uh, Maria, uh, I just wanted to ask, um, how are you doing? You are, I think, currently in Kharkiv. Uh, how is the situation there today? Are you safe? Uh, how do things look? 
Yes, I'm in Kharkiv, just returned from Kiev, where President Biden was visiting uh, on Monday. Uh, and uh, in Kharkiv, the situation became more tense uh, during the last weeks. Uh, Russia is uh, attacking uh, throughout the borderline. Uh, and uh, every day we have uh, information that more uh, houses were destroyed, uh, people wounded or killed. Uh, today, this uh, awful news came from Kherson where uh, Russia shelled the bus stop, uh, killing six people on the spot. And the, this might also happen uh, in the nearest future in other regions that lie uh, close to where Russian troops are, including Kharkiv. Right. Yeah. Perhaps I just wanted to ask quickly maybe your impressions, because you, you just mentioned that you were in Kiev yesterday when President Biden visited quite suddenly and for many, surprisingly. And so I'm assuming you were there, perhaps you had a chance to see him or, or see the events as they were unfolding. What are your impressions? Yes, this was a great surprise visit. Uh, the uh, It was kept totally sec secret. Uh, only in the morning, uh, there the, some rumors started to spread that there will be some very high top-level visit because all the city center of Kiev was closed for cars uh, mm -hmm. and for uh, passengers. So people were uh, like speculating of whom might it be. Uh, and then uh, the, the when the news uh, broke out about President Biden visiting of course, it was a great surprise and joy. And I was at the moment uh, near uh, Mikhailovsky uh, Cathedral in the heart of Kiev. Uh, and uh, uh, it wasn't possible to go close there, but one block away. Uh, and uh, at that moment, President Biden was there working with Zelensky, uh, uh, commemorating uh, the defenders, the fallen defenders of Ukraine. There is a wall there with the soldiers, with the pictures of the soldiers soldiers who died uh, defending Ukraine since 2014. Uh, and the moment they were there, the air sirens started. Uh, so uh, the president of the United States was walking in this Kiev city center uh, under the sound of the uh, air raid alert. Uh, after the uh, they departed, uh, um, it was possible to come and see, and there were flowers uh, uh, with the American and Ukrainian flags near that wall, and people were taking pictures. Of course, it was the great thing everywhere in Ukraine, and one of the commanders uh, whom I follow, uh, who is... Uh, now combating uh, near Bakhmut, uh, he uh, posted uh, after what that uh, President Biden, you captured my heart and the mm. hearts of Ukrainians. And mm. this is how people feel. Yeah, a friend of mine told me that Kiev traffic is always terrible. Uh, but this day, the, that everyone was, was happy with the reason why there was such bad traffic in Kiev. Yes, absolutely. Because in the morning, people were walking literally in many places because of the you just couldn't uh, uh, use any kind of uh, you couldn't use the car. So they, they were walking. And uh, as now we know, uh, President Biden arrived with the train and uh, mm. all the roads to the railway station were also blocked. And uh, it wasn't possible, I think, even to go into the building the railway station itself just to use some some additional uh, ways but of course yeah it was great uh, and uh, then uh, to see uh, the reason for all of the <laughs> measures yeah yeah exactly our special uh, the reason why we're having this conversation today is to 
kind of look back at the last 12 months since February 24th, 2022. You have also been on the ground since day one, uh, since February 24th, reporting on the situation of Kharkiv. And uh, and I've been, you know, as as have thousands of other people, maybe even, you know, hundreds of thousands of people on social media have benefited from the fact that you are uh, so resilient and reporting from the ground. And I just wanted to kind of go back a little bit uh, to the to the beginning of how it all started for you. Uh, and I found one of your first tweets that you that you tweeted on February 24th, 2022, where you wrote that uh, the shelling started at 5 a.m. We knew an attack is imminent, but I thought it would come from Donbass. It has gotten worse since then. It now looks like full-scale war on Ukrainian soil. So my question is, what do you remember going through your mind on this first day? Uh, did you ever think that the invasion actually could take place? And um, what motivated you to to go out and to report basically almost every day now since since that uh, since February 24th. Of course, I remember it very, very clearly. It is the most uh, horrible uh, day in, in my whole life. I remember it minute by minute. I have given uh, numerous interviews before uh, February 24th, and uh, because we all know that at that time Russia was uh, mounting its troops on the borders of the of Ukraine, and the question always was in the air: uh, What will happen? Will mm -hmm. they attack? When will the war start? And my assumption, as uh, the uh, opinion of many others, was that uh, uh, Russia will go uh, from Donbass because the, this is what Putin stated in his address that he wants the whole regions of Donetsk and Lugansk republics, so-called republics. Uh, and uh, I was thinking that probably we will see uh, the invasion or the war gradually moving up from that from there. Uh, this is why it's. Uh, I'm shy to say I wasn't actually preparing for the full-scale invasion for in Kharkiv, which mm. many people did and were right to do so. Uh, and then when in the morning I wasn't reporting about the war before, so I never heard actually the sound of the shell. And this is this was the first time I heard it. And then uh, everyone started to ask uh, if uh, Russian troops will be able to get into the city because Kharkiv is only 40 kilometers from the border. Right. And the Russian troops made it to the, uh, to the border of the city in the first hours. So they basically just... Uh, moved so close that uh, uh, when I heard the sounds of the tanks outside, I wasn't sure if these are Ukrainian tanks or Russian, because it was the, the moment of chaos. No one knew uh, what to do, what will be happening. Uh, Russian media were, were uh, bursting with messages saying that they have got control over Kharkiv, posting fake photos of the Russian flag over uh, Kharkiv regional um, administration, which mm. they later uh, destroyed with yeah. the missile yeah so uh the, the, the first moment it was very unclear what will happen then when it became obvious that they are not moving forward they are not able to get into the city uh i decided to stay for a while just to see uh how the situation develops uh, and uh, because I never wanted to stay in the city if it will be a threat that it might be occupied. 
so and then uh when it was like every day i was uh, uh, monitoring everything every available source of information to understand if if the occupation might happen or not uh, and uh, in several days it became obvious uh, or like most obvious that russia won't be able to capture kharkiv uh, they do not have enough uh, capabilities for that and that moment i decided that i will stay in the city until it's possible and uh, about the videos why i started doing them this is interesting because um because of this first days when it wasn't unclear what will happen almost all international journalists who were in the city before the war they left hmm. Ukrainian journalists left as well because of this threat of the of the occupation, as I have said, and there was almost no information except for social media about what's happening. So you couldn't understand what what is on the streets. And I live quite close to the city center, so uh, I decided to go out and make short videos myself about what is outside just for 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 friends for to share with them because everyone was asking how am i and i didn't want to just didn't have so much time so to to answer everyone so i just decided to make a short videos about how is how the situation is about so people mm. will know and then they uh, there was a huge uh feedback about them so people started to write that they they really appreciate this and this is very helpful and so gradually it uh, turned out that i uh, started to do it every day yeah wow yeah no thank you for for sharing these these first impressions i i can only imagine so the, the many things that must have been going through your head and we discussed very briefly before before you came on that uh, for all of us it was also a very difficult and strange time that you didn't really know what to think, how to think, what's going to happen tomorrow, the day after. But now, 12 months later, when we look at what's been happening, and for you specifically, how has your life changed in a way since the full-scale invasion started? And in the broad terms, because of course, everything has changed, but what is your general impression of how your life has changed? And what are perhaps some of the more unexpected situations that you experience or some experiences that you will that will be difficult for you to forget both positive i want to add if there are some positive experiences and of course negative if you feel comfortable telling us about them yeah sure Agnieszka. Yeah, it, it might be a long answer so you feel free <laughs> to cut out the, the unnecessary details uh, about that yeah, so my life, of course, has changed completely as life of the many Ukrainians. Uh, you introduced me as a uh, research director of the European Expert Association. So that was my main job before the war. And for throughout this year, uh, I'm now mostly uh, um, reporting on the uh, on the ground situation about uh, everyday uh 
life in Ukraine and about the uh, war implications on the lives of the Ukrainians and in Kharkiv and everywhere. Until uh, June, uh, I was staying in Kharkiv all the time, so didn't leave the city. After that, uh, I started to travel around uh, other frontline regions uh, of Ukraine with uh, different teams of international media, working with them as a field producer. Uh, and uh, that allowed me also to see by myself uh, how the situation is in other regions of Ukraine, because I was really interested uh, to see it with my own eyes. Because when you see it like experience, then you have a very clear understanding of what is happening and how the situation is. So from that, I traveled to every corner of Ukraine. I mean, where the war is close to uh, which uh, which places which I never visited before. And uh, there were moments, of course, of a great joy. Uh, for example, uh, when Kharkiv was liberated, uh, we, were, we were one of the first groups that went uh, to the liberated areas of Kharkiv. And this is a very a mixed feeling, the feeling of joy uh, of the uh, deoccupied territories and the horrors uh, which you witness when you first come to the area which was just uh, two days ago under Russian occupation. With one of the teams, we were the first media that came uh, into Pasad Pakrovska. This is a village in Kharkiv region just when, like with the first Ukrainian tanks, so to mm. say we saw i saw for the first time how the battlefield looks just hours after uh, after russian troops uh, moved out uh, yeah. with the, the bodies outside and everything and so it's always a very difficult feeling uh, which you have uh, uh, in 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 these uh, situations then Kherson was deoccupied. It was also one of the biggest moments uh, throughout this uh, war. And we were covering that also a lot, uh, both uh, when uh, just the occupation just happened and afterwards when Russia started to uh, uh, hugely attack uh, the region. In many villages now, still now, after months of uh, that came from liberation, uh, people live in a very terrible conditions because many of them lack basic uh, things. Uh, many of them live in the houses which are completely destroyed, so they live somewhere in the basements uh, in these cold winter months without heating, without electricity, basically surviving. So of course, it's wow. it's quite quite difficult. Uh, to see, to realize, but uh, what uh, is positive in all this uh, is that uh, this feeling of Ukrainian resistance uh, in every place uh, I was uh, and talked to people, uh, they will always tell that we will uh, we will stand through, we will survive, we will. Uh, we will continue uh, fighting, but the most important thing is that Ukraine wins. It's what everyone says. It just you hear it from uh, everywhere uh, because uh, people 
have so much anger at uh, what Russia has done to Ukraine and to civilians uh, and to, of course, to those uh, soldiers uh, who died on the uh, front lines that uh, there is no other way for people just to continue fighting uh, for uh, for the victory in this war because everyone has already sacrificed so much. Yeah, and I guess that kind of leads me to my next question, because, I mean, is this what you would say motivates the Ukrainians to keep this resistance? Because, you know, when we look at it from the outside, I, one question that we often have is, how is it that, you are, that you're not exhausted, that Ukrainians just are not exhausted with this pointless war, uh, but, but has affected so many people? Um, is it the, the belief in the victory, do you think, that, that keeps keeps the Ukrainians going? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's this and also uh, Putin uh, since the beginning of the invasion and even today in his lunatic speech uh, to the Federal Assembly, he always claims that there is no such state as Ukraine. So uh, everyone in Ukraine now clearly sees because before there was this understanding, but it wasn't like as obvious. Now mm. it's obvious that his only goal is to destroy Ukraine as a nation, as a country. He right. said it openly, he and the others uh, uh, in uh, Russian elite. So uh, for Ukrainians now, it's the question of survival. And it's a very basic instinct when you have to survive. There is no way of how you can stop because the, you understand clearly that if you stop, then you will be destroyed. And this is the only way of how uh, the, how you survive like in like a nation, like individuals, is continue fighting uh, because uh, Russia won't stop. And uh, they clearly say it, and uh, this is uh, that's that's what gives Ukraine strength. So Russia bombards critical infrastructure, uh, power stations, electricity stations. Ukrainians say, "Okay, we will live without electricity, without power, but we will live without you. We will continue." Mm. Uh, and this was the greatest mistake uh, of Putin and Russia that they didn't realize. Uh, it in Ukraine, they were probably thinking that uh, they will be able to put Ukraine on its knees, threaten, terrify, and then Ukrainians will say, uh, "Okay, we are ready for for uh, to give up." But they were completely wrong. And as time goes by, uh, uh, this uh, hatred uh, and this anger and this strength they they became bigger. Mm. It won't. Uh, it won't end uh, until uh, the full victory will be achieved. I wanted to ask you a bit more about your home city of Kharkiv, and you mentioned that in the beginning of the war, the Russians were very close, and then gradually the area around the city was liberated. So now, in a way, the city could breathe a little bit. A sigh of relief, but it, this doesn't mean that it's out of danger. So, how would you say how has Kharkiv changed since last February, and what kind of city do you think it will be after the war? What would you imagine will happen after, hopefully, Ukrainian victory, and how the city can then 
further develop in the future. Yeah, the Russians uh, are still very close. They continue uh, their, like, they try to push uh, in the direction of Kupiansk, which is to the uh, east of Kharkiv. And every day there will be reports about more and more attacks. Uh, also around the borderline, uh, the last time I was there was three days ago, like probably 10 kilometers to the Russian border. And when you are there, you constantly hear the artillery shelling. So they do not stop. They do not attack from the north now actively, but the shelling is all the time happening. As for the city, uh, now when uh, the city, so after the liberation of the march of the territory of Kharkiv region, uh, people became uh, people gradually start to come back uh, now i would say it's about half of the population uh, of the pre-war population is back it's about one million people now, what is uh, striking uh, if you would uh, compare the city before the war and now apart from it's very dark outside and you hear the air sirens regularly it's uh, you do not see kids and students uh, on the streets because before mm -hmm. it was the student capital of ukraine kharkiv had more university than any other city and uh, so mm -hmm. the uh, the the uh, education is only possible now online for schools and for universities, many of them were destroyed. So there are some children uh, who, who do online education and stay home with their parents, but most families with children uh, were forced to move out. The playgrounds are almost always empty. So this is a city... Uh, which became very severe with a lot of military people on the streets, uh, military cars in the streets. Uh, so it changed a lot. Uh, but what is positive, uh, I went uh, not recent, just recently went to Saltivka. Of course, uh, I think a lot of people heard about this uh, area, residential area, which was just smashed mm. uh, with Russian attacks because it was the front line. So Russians were two kilometers from the uh, buildings, uh, residential buildings, and it's completely smashed. And now uh, the city has started uh, rebuilding some of the buildings. So they mm, divided them into three categories, one that will be totally take out because it's not possible to do something. Others uh, uh, which, uh, which the city is rebuilding, and the the third group, uh, which they uh, like, they call it conservate. So they shut down all the windows with wooden panels and uh, like preserve them for future uh, reconstruction. It's unbelievable that they during even the time of war, how they are already rebuilding and uh, focusing on reconstruction. A lot of discussions on reconstruction. It's quite amazing uh, if you think about it. Maria, I wanted to ask about maybe a little bit about what you think is going to happen now in the future. Um, we hear many voices that Russia is preparing another escalation or that it's already in the midst of its offensive. Uh, but we also hear that uh, maybe something from Belarus will happen, maybe even another attempt to take Kiev. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on this. Do you think that Russia is in a in the position to do another offensive, do you think uh, there will be some sort of escalation 
in the next weeks well what you know what the invasion showed us like in uh, a year ago is that all the uh all what you think might be might uh, be uh, completely wrong because it's difficult <laughs> to predict what is in the head of the of this man who is in charge in Russia but if like to think logically i think that the attempt to attack kiev is unlikely uh, because russia doesn't mm. have uh, troops enough even to capture bakhmut the, the the battle for bakhmut yeah. is going on for already weeks if not months and still this city uh, from which nothing is left it's just ruins is still under ukrainian control uh, there might be attempts, uh, some like groups of saboteurs uh, or small military groups attacking from the uh, from Belarus, but I think it will be mostly uh, just to distract attention and uh, keep uh, Ukrainian army busy there. Uh, as we have mm. seen from the last meeting of Putin and Lukashenko, it looks like Lukashenko is still not going to be uh, involved fully uh, into the war, meaning uh, not only give the ground, but with the uh, uh, Belarusian troops. Uh, and uh, this means that Russia has to only to use its own soldiers, which uh, which they now have almost all of them attacking uh, around Donbass. Uh, so I think that they will concentrate. Uh, this new offensive, which you're talking about, has already started, because it it mm. it it wasn't it wouldn't be something that unexpectedly happens. It's already started and it's happening in Donbass. So I think that Russia will concentrate on four regions which uh, they have uh, uh, unlawfully. Uh, included at the regions of Russia into their constitution. This is Donetsk, Lugansk, Zaporizhia and Kherson regions. And so I think that we will see most of the action of the Russian offensive happening over there. They will try to capture as many territories as, as possible. Around Kharkiv, uh, military say that the situation around Kupiansk is quite intense. Well, why Kupiansk is important because uh, from uh, there, from from Russia through Kupiansk lies a uh, road to Donbass. So for Russia, it's important mm. uh, to have a supply route because otherwise all the routes of supply are too long and they can be targeted targeted uh, by Ukrainian troops. Uh, so, uh, yes, they the attack, uh, they, the offensive is there. Uh, they also might uh, try uh, again another massive missile attack on one of the days, on the 23rd or 24th. Uh, Ukrainian schools have got this letter from the Ministry of Education saying that it's uh, advised not to have any classes uh, if there are uh, uh, offline classes on these days to keep children out of uh, schools. So there is this understanding mm. that the massive missile attack might happen. But then uh, 
for this year, also with the help of our partners and allies, Ukraine has developed a very good uh, air defense capabilities. Of course, we need more. We need more weapons and anti-air defense systems. But still, uh, the last attacks show us that it's quite effective. And even if Russia launches 100 missiles, uh, a big part of them uh, will be intercepted uh, by Ukrainian troops. Mm. Absolutely. I think we often see these statistics and hear about how just amazing Ukrainian air defense is in terms of the amount of attacks that are deflected or neutralized. It's really yeah. remarkable. And of course, every successful intervention is a life or many lives saved. So really i think we are all in awe and full of respect for all these people who are who are operating these systems because of course uh, the systems might have come for example from the allies but there's always a human behind it who has to operate it but maybe to also try and move into some hopefully more positive developments or hopeful events as we mentioned at the beginning of this interview this week overall is very important, but I think we all agree that it became even more historic with Joe Biden's visit to Kiev that we already talked about. It is really unprecedented for a United States president to show up just like that in the middle of a war zone without any strong American presence around him to protect him. So you mentioned a little bit your impressions, but what do you think in the grand scheme of things? What does it mean to Ukraine and to Ukrainians that he came to Kiev, that he was there? And what do you think on the flip side? What does it mean to Putin and the Kremlin, what their sentiments might have been on that? Yeah, for Ukrainians, it means that this is a great uh, sign of support. Uh, because it's uh, not an easy uh, road even now, uh, because uh, the only possible way is to get by train. And uh, as we now know, the, the visit was planned ahead with all the security measures. So it was... Uh, it, it it was difficult to organize, not uh, take alone that this is the situation of the ongoing war when Russia doesn't stop its attacks. So yeah. uh, this was a huge uh, meaning. Uh, it has a huge meaning for Ukrainians, especially taking into account that uh, uh, the president of the United States wasn't in the capital of Ukraine for a long, for many years uh, and before the war and. Uh, of course, this visit during the war is huge. It's huge importance. Uh, and uh, what people in Russia think and what uh, Russian social media say, uh, of course, they... Uh, <laughs> They, they they were uh, bursting in another wave of disinformation and fake uh, 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 fake statements saying that one of the most funniest of them was that they said they they that it Russia guaranteed the security of Biden's visit because at that time they were not attacking Kiev and this is why he was able to safely travel which of course is not the true because we have seen before when uh, international leaders uh, were visiting uh, it didn't stop Russia and they were attacking Ukraine in on these days as well so it was a very high uh, risk uh, and uh, it is a very big um, big uh, um, meaning for people here that uh, president biden did this step 
and showed uh, showed this. Uh, also, two important uh, moments are that uh, on Monday there was a day of uh, heavenly hundred when Ukraine commemorates uh, the fallen uh, uh, those fallen uh, during Maidan. Uh, who were fighting uh, yeah. in the first days for Ukrainian independence, after which actually the war started in 2014. And then uh, we knew that uh, on Tuesday, so today, uh, Putin will give his speech to the Federal Assembly. And by visiting Ukraine before it, uh, Biden uh, showed who is leading and uh, where is the strength. And the strength is uh, uh, with uh, Ukraine and with uh, all our partners and allies uh, who support us. And today I was, when I was watching uh, President Biden's address uh, in uh, and Poland, uh, I with all these flags of uh, Ukraine, Poland, the states, and others, it was uh, a very emotional moment and uh, a feeling of great unity uh, of Ukraine with uh, with everyone who is supporting us. And Poland here is doing um, uh, from the beginning of the war. I think it became the closest uh, friend for Ukraine. If I may jump before Adam goes with his next question when you were saying about the reactions yeah. on the on the Russian media. Actually, I was watching some state Russian state media this morning because I like to torture myself this way. And they were they were saying basically <laughs> one of the guests just snubbed Biden for taking the train to Kiev and he was saying, well he should have taken the plane like normally and he should have asked Russia to escort his plane to Kiev. <laughs> and I'm just thinking how how delusional do you have to be to say such things? But that was just um that, that, that was my morning this morning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The the what the, you can hear on Russian state media is uh, so uh, out of this world, but the uh, horrible thing is that people in Russia believe in this and we have seen so many uh, evidence of that and actually this is one of the reasons I didn't mention why uh, Ukrainians uh, now are so much uh, have so much anger on people in Russia is because they support this war and they believe in what uh, this propaganda uh, state media tell them. They actually really many of them support uh, what is happening and this is uh, the moment when you clearly see how effective uh, disinformation and propaganda is when it's put uh, on the state level and when it's developed for so many years. Yes, unfortunately, it's quite unbelievable, but they managed to keep their support for the war very high. And I, I agree that um, this is uh, something that needs to be addressed as well as, as how to you know, once the war is over and Ukraine has its victory, you know, how to deal with Russia, because there's going to be a very, I think, uh, I don't know how a better way to put it, but it's going to be a very bad hangover once uh, when it's, once it's over for, for Russian people who, especially who have been supporting this war. Um, so, Maria, maybe for the last question, um, I just would like to ask if you had any other reflections that you'd like to share with our listeners um, how do you see things going, you know, for the next, uh, the next months, the next year? I know this is a very difficult, uh, question to answer. It's very difficult for anyone to predict what the course of the war is going to look like, but just from your personal perspective, you know, what, what, 
what do you see happening in in the next uh, the next 12 months well i really hope that uh, as many in ukraine that this will be the last year uh, of the war and uh, my hope uh, is based on the uh, supplies of the uh, western weapons that were announced uh, and uh, because i have seen by myself how hugely effective they are those legendary high mars uh when you see uh on the like how precise they are and how uh, you, when ukrainian troops get them how they can precisely hit uh the uh munition depots the lines of supply and everything else that allows russia to attack uh that there is the understanding that the more weapons will come the quicker uh ukrainian army uh will win in this war and the, this decision of supply and tanks uh, was a, a historical decision. Uh, and then I think that I do hope that in the course of the year, we will see a decision of supply and the fighter jets, which will support these tanks. And uh, these, all of this uh, will allow uh, Ukraine to uh, to get uh, to the borders and to liberate the territories that are uh, now still under Russian occupation and liberate the people who live there, who still continue to live uh, under, under occupation for many months. Well, I do think that uh, if uh, if Biden's visit to to Ukraine and to Poland is any indication that uh, I think the Western support is still very strong, and I do agree with you. I hope that there will be this uh, this support, uh, and that uh, it will it will improve, and the the fighter jets, for example, will be eventually delivered as well. And that is definitely what what they need. Maria, thank you so much. Uh, for this discussion. We really do appreciate you being here with us. Thank you so much, Adam, Agnieszka. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. And uh, uh, thank you for supporting Ukraine because this is what you do. And uh, uh, this is what is very important because I always share the feedback and what we hear from, from you and from other Ukrainian friends with those people whom I meet. And this is very important for them to hear because when you know that you are not alone it gives you a lot of strength thank you for this thank you maria and that was our interview with maria avdeva we hope you enjoyed it as you can probably tell it was both very emotional but i think there's also a lot of content that we all got out of it maria is really an incredibly experienced and for me impressive person and the courage that she has been demonstrating since the beginning of this full-scale invasion is really remarkable so i personally really enjoyed this conversation i don't know about you adam do you have any thoughts and reflections after our interview yeah i mean it's just it's uh was great to hear from maria and her reflections also i mean she has gone through personally so much as have probably you know every single ukrainian uh, since since February twenty fourth to twenty twenty two, but she especially has the, has you know deciding to stay in Kharkiv to report to the world what was happening there. As she mentioned, there were no journalists at the time, so she kind of filled in the role, and then you know just uh, becoming someone who was uh, a major source of information uh, on the ground in Kharkiv and starting to work with you know international news agencies. She spent a lot of time with CNN on the ground. It's just uh, you know. 
uh, her life has been really flipped upside down. But it was really great to hear from her and uh, and her reflections and uh, what she also thinks you know could happen next. Um, I have uh, a lot of respect for Maria, and I, I do appreciate that she she joined us here on the podcast for our discussion. Indeed. And once again, also thank you to our patrons who joined us for this conversation. We hope to be able to organize more of such, I think they're called, aren't they called like fireside chats or something like that in the <laughs> in the conference uh, environment. Yes. So yes. I, we hope that they yeah. enjoyed it as well. And if uh, any of our patrons missed the discussion, we do have the full video, uh, which includes, uh, there were just a few questions uh, in discussion afterwards, but that will be posted on the Patreon website for our patrons. And if you're not a patron, uh, we keep talking about our patrons, but maybe we should describe who they are. Uh, if you do like the podcast and you enjoy Talk Eastern Europe, uh, you could become a patron and support us financially. Uh, and it's just a, a you know as little as two dollars a month. You can become a patron and get some additional benefits, which includes being a part of such discussions like today, uh, having access to additional content, uh, as well as some deals on New Eastern Europe um, content, New Eastern Europe magazine, uh, digital subscriptions. Uh, so a lot of benefits, a lot of different options. And uh, do check it out. We have a link to the Patreon page right in the show notes. But if you want to type it in, it's www.patreon.com slash talk Eastern Europe. Indeed. And otherwise, if you are not in a position to support us financially through our Patreon page, please, please do also consider supporting us through means such as spreading the word, telling your friends, family. And one thing that recently has been particularly successful, give us a rating on one of the yes. apps that you're using to listen to this podcast. I've been seeing a bunch of new ratings on Spotify, which makes me incredibly happy because it really takes only a few seconds. And for us, it's such an incredible help because the algorithm work the way they work. So we, if we have more ratings, it is more likely that they will show our podcast to new people and new listeners. So we would be incredibly, incredibly grateful if you gave us this five-star rating. And otherwise, feel free to get in touch with us and give us your comments and reflections. We are always open to that and we'd love to hear from you. So check out our Facebook group, Talk Eastern Europe podcast, and our website, which is talkeasterneurope.eu. And we would love to hear from you. Yeah, let's keep this discussion going, uh, particularly your thoughts and reflections on uh, on on the, the situation. I'm sure a lot of you out there have your own experiences as well. I mean, this uh, this war has touched so many people, so we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. And uh, before we end the podcast, I, I got, there's one other thing that we have to do in this uh, in this episode, as we do in every episode, and that is to give our special thanks and shout out to our uh, to our podcast patrons uh, as i have already described it's a very uh, you know an important community that we're trying to build uh, and these are the people who are um, not just listening to us but are supporting us actively and interact with us and have an opportunity to benefit from that and one of the benefits of course is is this shout out so please allow me to say hello and thank you to our patrons including daniel yurai luke susie david daniel carolina percy RSJ, Michael, Anais, Olaf, CB, Klaus, Plum and Sean, Naomi, JP, Elise, Sean, Urs, Ian, Sophia, Wilhelm, David, Erica, Janos, Jason, Mark, Stephanie and Pierre. Thank you so much for, for your support and we look forward to 
continuing our uh, our discussions and engaging with you even more. Thank you so much. Okay, I think that's all we have for today. It has been quite uh, a packed episode, very important one. I think it will go down in the history of Talk Eastern Europe as one of our uh, more important episodes. But I do encourage all of you to listen to our previous episodes. And if you're on an app, uh, we're not just giving the five-star ratings, but also subscribe so you know when the next episodes are available. Absolutely. Thank you all for being here. Thank you to all our both patrons and listeners. And talk to you soon. Till next time.